You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Hey, let me show you a picture of my family because they send their love also. And my wife, who uh, was so kind and gracious to, to allow me to come. So that's my crew. That's my wife, Corey. My kids are cute because she did it, okay? And um, so my daughter, Campbell, she's eight. My, my baby girl, Mary Bradford, she's uh, going into the first grade. And then that knucklehead that I'm holding right there, I'm holding him tight because he would not get like centered up for the picture. His name is Gaines. He just turned three. Uh, they're cute little sinners, okay? All right, so that's the real deal. They need the gospel, so pray for them, they're, you know. Um, but we're all, that's who we all are, aren't we? Hey, do you guys love the Bible? We're going to open our Bible. So go ahead and get out your Bible, or maybe you want to click there. Um, I'm going to do something today that, that Pastor Brian asked me to do, that, uh, that I, I love all you guys that might be tuning in, listening to the podcast, or watching online uh, by the miracle of technology, but you're not going to get what we get in the room today. I'm just saying it as lovingly as I can, uh, because I'm going to show you today something that has blown my mind as I've learned about it, and, uh, and we're going to cover a lot of ground in the scriptures, okay? So if you've got a, a copy of the text, uh, I want you to open it up to Luke chapter 22, the gospel of Luke chapter 22, and, uh, and I'm going to go there and click there in my notes right here, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 7, okay? Pick it up in verse 7. Luke 22, I'm reading out of the ESV, verse 7, it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He says to them, behold, when you have entered the city, the city here is Jerusalem, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. So I wanna talk to you today, Queen City Church, about something that maybe you've grown up around, maybe you've even got a, a perspective of, uh, but we're gonna take, by the end of the service, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper, all right? We didn't wanna give it to you on the way in. The ushers are gonna come later and give it to you. But, but I wanna give you some thoughts about the Lord's Supper that hopefully change the way you take communion or Eucharist, whatever your terminology is, the Lord's Supper for the rest of your lives. And this is, again, a priority piece here. This is, this is something that you can't do really via podcast. This is something that when we come together, the ecclesia, the called out of God, we come out from all the different things that we're doing in the city of Cincinnati or in Northern Kentucky or wherever you're coming in from today, that when we make the decision to say, we're gonna give the Lord our first and our best, and we say the first day of the week is Sunday, we're gonna give the Lord our first and our best, and we, and we come to a gathering with, with brothers and sisters that we know some of and we might not know others, and we come together and we break bread and we, we remember the Lord, that we are making it about Him, not just because Nat came up and, 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 and said, hey, let's give God our best, or Pastor Brian comes up and said, let's give God our best, or the worship, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna literally set aside the first day of the week, Sunday, which side note, just let me pause right here and put a pin in this. One of the broken things about the American culture, there's a lot of broken things, amen, is that, that we have a perspective of Sunday is the finish of the week. That's not the way the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about Sunday, today is the very first day of a new week. 
And so on this very first day, we're gonna give the Lord. So congratulations, you're here today. And they even moved service time from 9.15 to nine o'clock and you got here early and you're giving the Lord your best. You're giving him the first of the week. And this beautiful thing happens when we give the Lord our first and our best. He, he ends up getting all of our, our whole rest of the week calibrated and everything else falls into place. And so where we are, uh, I've gotten the privilege to go to Israel seven times. I'm about to go back at the end of this month, my eighth time. And I wanna teach you something that I've learned there. I'm a little bit of a nerd. Where are my nerds at? Come on, nerd people. Where are you at? Yes, nerd, nerd, nerd. Yes, nerds. I'm gonna give you some Bible nerd stuff. Now, let me, another, another show of hands. I'm a participatory pastor, okay? I hope you're in for this, okay? You can yell at me, you can, you can point at me, you can shout me down, okay? I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and then I met the Holy Spirit and everything just kind of went wild, okay? Okay, y'all are feeling me, okay, okay. So I'm just giving you permission. I talk really fast and I'm caffeinated this morning, so I'm gonna try to do my best to slow down. But show of hands, how many of you have taken communion before? Show of hands, show of hands, show of hands. Okay, a lot of you, okay, all right. I, I'm believing that you're gonna see communion completely different, but I'm gonna give you two truths as we start this, this deal about this meal that we just read about in Luke 22. Number one truth is this, Jesus and his disciples, they had eaten this meal many times before. I want you to write that down, jot it down. This is the last Passover meal, but we know that Jesus and his disciples had eaten this meal, many of them for, for three at least three years, but many of them grew up in the region of Galilee together. They, they had celebrated the Passover meal and Jesus had done this every year of his life. So this was, a, this was a part of their rhythm for the year. And just let me remind us of what the Passover meal was, okay? The Passover meal celebrated the fact that hundreds of years, thousands of years earlier, even when we read this with Jesus, God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt through miracles, y'all, the 10 plagues, parted the Red Sea, fed them in the desert. I mean, even provided, provided you know, food, manna. Yeah, somebody already yelled it from the bag, manna, but they, not even that, like they, were, they were hungry for not manna. They're like, God, give us something besides manna. And he provides like, you know, meat in the form of birds. Think, all right, I mean, he did all these miracles and now they're, they're in the promised land. Now watch this, they're in the promised land and they're having the Passover. Like the promises of God, y'all, that he had made hundreds of years earlier, they were literally living in one level of fulfillment of it in the promised land. Now we call it that, and it's just like a, a name we call it, but who had made the promise? Who had made the promise of the land? This is not rhetorical, who had made the promise? God, and they were living in the middle of the promise, it's crazy. But Jesus is gonna take this promise and he's gonna go a little bit further. So. Number one, I need you to know this, they'd eaten this meal many times before. And, and number two, this is gonna change the game for you. During this meal, everyone had one cup, but throughout the meal, they would get it refilled four times. Everybody hold up number four. Four, 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 okay, four. They hold it, they do it four times. Now, okay, I've got this beautiful Tropicana grape juice. Thank you, Queen City staff who made this available. And so they'd sit down and they'd have the meal and they'd fill it up four times, okay? Not just once, four times. And this is where we get all of the promises that we are beginning to take part in as we celebrate communion. We get them from these, I'm gonna show you where these four fillings come from, okay? Now, what's gonna really blow your mind is these four fillings they, they line up perfectly with your growth track here at Queen City Church. 
The, the, the four truths that we're going to read, you're going to see they line up perfectly. And you did, maybe you didn't even know it, but I'm going to show them to you. Um, back in the day, the, the, the rabbis, they had these things called the, the four promises of God. They came from Exodus 6, 6, 7, and 8. If you want to flip your Bible back there, we're going to read you in just a minute. Exodus 6, 6, 7, and 8. Now, let me get us into the context of Exodus 6. We're about to see God talk to Moses, and this is right after Moses has gone to Pharaoh. And what did Moses go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh? He said, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? Nah, bro, that ain't it. Okay, and, and so Moses goes back um, and he's talking to God and Pharaoh had actually got ticked off at Moses that he takes the, the straw away from all of the Egyptian slaves that were making bricks. And he says, not only are you're not gonna let the people go, but I'm gonna make the labor that they've been doing even harder. And so who's mad at Moses now? Pharaoh's mad at Moses, but who else is mad at Moses? All the people, they're mad at the leader, which is just what happens, right, in leadership. Uh, Bless you, Brian. Okay. Um, and they're mad at the leader. And now Moses is crying to God, God, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. I went to Pharaoh and said, let, God says, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no. And he says, not only am I going to tell you no, because you're, you're, you're asking, I'm going to take all the, the straw away. And, and so he's talking to God and God comes back to him and he delivers Exodus 6, 7, and 8. Exodus 6, 6, 7, and 8. He says these promises. It'll be on the screen. Let's read it together. Exodus 6, 6, 7, and 8. Say therefore to the people of Israel, okay, don't let them lose heart. Tell the people, here's what I'm about to do. God, quote, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This is where we get the phrase promised land. This is God speaking. And how many of you know that when God says he's going to do something, won't he do it? Won't he do it? That, that was a word for somebody today. When God tells you he's going to do something, he will. So he tells the people via Moses, I've got four promises that I'm going to make to you. Now, these four promises, they actually occurred. Because when Jesus and his disciples, fast forward now hundreds of years, are sitting in the Passover meal... They are looking back to the promises that God had made to Moses and these four I will statements, the four promises are what you're doing at the meal. You're starting the meal and the very first little raise of the glass is remembering that very first promise. Here was promise number one, maybe you caught it. I tried to emphasize them to the four I will statements. The first promise that God makes is he makes the promise. He says, I will bring you out. Tap your neighbor and say, he's gonna bring you out. Y'all love the tap your neighbor thing, don't you? I know, I know, I can feel it, okay? I will bring you out. What did this mean? Well, think about this in context. You had people enslaved and God promised that I'm gonna remove you from the hell on earth that is slavery. I'm gonna bring you out. I'm gonna do it. Translation for us today, if you, if you wanna get this idea in your heart, you need to know that God has made a promise. This promise is still available to us. God has made a promise. I will save you. I will save you. 
that I'm going, I'm going to save you from not just hell on earth, but the Bible, this will blow somebody's mind here. The Bible talks about a literal place of eternal death called hell. And God's promise is still on offer that he says to you and to I, you and to me, that's right grammar, you and to me, that he will save you. And he will, and, you're, and I mean, that's good news. Like, I don't know if some of us have just been around Christianese language for so long, but the reality is that, I don't know about you, confession time, I have done so many things that deserve eternal conscious torment, aka hell. Hands up. I need it. I need forgiveness. I deserve it. Hell is the fairest thing in the universe. Now, that's not what the zeitgeist of the times are gonna tell you. It's gonna say, whoa, God is so many. No, I'm gonna tell you, hell is the fairest thing in the universe for this guy right here. Greed, pride, hate. I mean, all the things. I mean, this guy, the pastor, this guy. I deserve hell. And guess what's crazy? So does all of humanity. We deserve it because of our selfishness. But good news today Queen City Church, God's made a promise. He said, I will bring you out. Amen. He will. He'll save you. God is a saving God. So he makes this promise to Moses and he says, tell the people I will bring you out. And then what's crazy is, what's crazy is, guess what? He did. He did it. He brings them out with 10 plagues. He brings them out with miracle after miracle. He brings them out of the land of Egypt and no longer are they living in this hell on earth. Now they, they begin to get redeemed, rescued, delivered, and I wanna get you to promise number two. So when they're saying the Passover, I'm not gonna do it now, but they basically, first part of the meal, right? Like the appetizer. Oh gosh, he's brought us out, praise God. You know, to the king, raise a glass. Y'all didn't know God, God the God of the Bible, he is, he's where the fiesta is, man, all right? I mean, some, some people in the church have got it all wrong. They think that the God of the Bible is like boring and that, that like hell is the eternal party. Can I let you know something? Hell's not a party. Satan's not the party thrower. If you wanna know where joy and party and celebration comes from, it comes from the God who made it all. It comes from Yahweh, our God. Okay, anyway, point number two, I wanna make sure you get this. After they get this idea of I will save you, the, the second promise that you would pour in your glass is this promise. Not only am I gonna save you, I'm gonna bring you out, but, but I'm gonna deliver you. The, the language is I will deliver you from slavery. Now, this, this promise is really kind of wild because it kind of sounds like the first one, doesn't it? But there's a difference, and I know this is gonna resonate with some of you, but how many of you know that the story of the Bible isn't, isn't just God taking his people out of Egypt? They had to wander around in the desert for how long? How long? 40 years, 40, 40. And what, what, was, what was happening in that 40 years? Right, the, the, the people were having to fight unbelief. There was actually an entire generation that didn't believe that passed away there. But here, here's the shorthand way of saying it. He wasn't just oh, gonna save them from Egypt. He, he spent 40 years in the wilderness getting Egypt out of them. Okay, here's, here's the translation today. You need to know that God doesn't wanna just save you when you were 13 or save you when you're 25, but God is in the business of getting you not just saved, but he's getting you freed. And he wants to not just get you out of hell, he literally wants to get hell out of you. So translation, there's some hellacious ways of thinking. There's hellacious identity issues. There's, there's hellacious parent wounds from the, there's, there's that, that first marriage or that, that college season. And I want you to know that God's not just wanting to save you, he literally wants to get hell out of you. Personal testimony, is this a safe place? Can I, can I confess some things? So I was on staff at a church for probably two and a half years. 
And I'm sitting in a gathering at a, at a, at a, at a men's conference. One of my very good friends that's on staff at the church, uh, I'm saved, okay? But, but during a, a moment of just praying over one another at a men's gathering, he turns and he starts to pray over me. And, and you guys know when you've got somebody that prays over you, it's like they're seeing into your heart. He prays over me that, I'm gonna regurgitate what he said. He's got his hands on me. He says, Lord, I pray for Brad. I pray that Lord, and, and he just starts to speak. Uh, the, the Bible calls this prophetic a word of knowledge. He starts to speak. Father, I just sense that Brad is gonna do some incredible things for you when he realizes he has nothing to prove. And as soon as he said it, I fell to my knees because I knew firstborn type A, man, I, I'm an I'm a, I'm a overachiever. And as soon as he said it, I knew it was absolutely the truth of God that he wanted to get a message to me that one of them, I, I was, I, I'd known the Lord since I was nine years old. But one of the things that was not true, I felt like I had to earn. I felt like I had to stay in good graces. I felt like I had to perform. And one of the things that just got spoken over me in that moment of freedom was that, oh my goodness, I have nothing to prove. It's amazing what you'll accomplish for the kingdom of God when you have nothing to prove. So I don't know if you've ever had an experience of freedom like that. Maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've, you've had seasons of addiction or maybe you've had you know, seasons of, of, of sin cycle, pornography or pills or, or alcohol or, or maybe just a way of thinking. I just want you to know that God doesn't wanna just save you from hell that you can hope for heaven one day. He wants you to know that you don't have to live a hellacious life today. Okay, and this is a promise that he makes and this promise happens here. Now, this is kind of crazy. Just another little historical note. When you're sitting at the Passover meal, you don't get to pour your own drink. Did you know that? At a Passover meal, you, you serve one another. The, the point was this, God wanted his people to know that when you were a slave, you had to serve others. But when you are a son or a daughter of his, you don't serve like that anymore, others serve you. Is that not crazy? Now, I know that's counterintuitive because yes, the greatest among us serves and that's true, we're in this world. But when you're sitting down and you're remembering the Lord, you need to understand that if my brother or my sister is pouring my drink, I need to understand that I didn't earn this, that I am, a, I am sitting at the table of the king and I did nothing to get invited there, but yet he is serving me and the Lord wants to serve. I believe that when I'm praying for this sermon, I was praying for this service at nine o'clock, I believe that there's some of you, you're saved but you need to know that God wants to serve you some real freedom. Yeah. And he wants to serve you some freedom from that way of thinking, that habit, that thing that maybe your spouse doesn't know about or, or maybe your parents don't know about or maybe your best friends don't know about, but there's some things that they're hellacious mindsets and ideas and God doesn't wanna just get you out of Egypt, he wants to get Egypt out of you. That's the idea of freedom, okay? Now, let's make a turn. The second two pores that you receive at the meal are things that he wants to save you for. This is kind of cool, but God doesn't want to just save you from some things. He wants to save you for some things. So these are future oriented promises. So at this meal, they would be sitting and they'd have these two kind of moments in the meal where they would remember the promises. God will bring you out. God will save you and he'll deliver you from Egypt, from slavery there. And now the turn is, and the, 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 the third poor is very simply this, that I will redeem you with outstretched arms and great acts of judgment. Now, does anybody see just with those, those words right there, does anybody see any foreshadowing in those words? Is that not beautiful that thousands of years before Christ goes to the cross, right there in the third promise, of the promise is called the, the cup of redemption, by the way. 
that in the cup of redemption, in the mouth of Moses to the people is that God is saying, I'm gonna save you with outstretched arms and great acts of judgment. Now, these people at that moment, they're thinking, oh yeah, the arms of, of the Lord that would, would, would you know, send the locusts or send the, the, the bees or, or the bees, the flies or, send, or, or part the sea. They're thinking like that. But we know now, looking backwards on the cross, what was he really foreshadowing? He's really foreshadowing Jesus Christ. I'm gonna save you with this beautiful act. Now, this is the idea of redemption. So one of the promises that's on offer for you is that God wants to redeem you. Now, this word redemption is, it's a little bit of a, a word that gets used a lot in Christian language and Christianese, but I want you to understand something. You were created by God designed by God and there was a purpose, there was work to be done, there was worship to be done and sin fractured that. Okay, one piece of fruit in the Garden of Eden ruined humanity forever. Um, St. Augustine would call this original sin. It's the reason when I showed you a picture of my cute kids up there, I said they're cute little sinners. Because they are. And every parent in the room, where are my parents at? Wave at me parents. I mean, did any of you guys teach your kids to pull hair? No, I didn't either. I don't know what's going on, but like my son just, he's got these two big sisters and when they don't do what he wants, he just like this. And it's like, I, my wife doesn't do that to me. I don't really have any hair to pull and I definitely don't go up and just pull her hair, right? So I don't know where he gets this from, except I do know my Bible and I know that my son is a cute little sinner. Right, I, I got a phone call the other day. I was on the way home from church and as I was uh, making the way home, my wife calls me and, and she says, are you close to the house? And I, she had urgency in her voice. Dads, you know what I'm talking about? Urgency in her voice said, yeah, I'm on the way. He said, your son, I don't know why he's my son, but, but <laughs> your son threw a matchbox car into, your, into our daughter's face. And, and, and so I can hear screaming. Y'all know this parents when you're talking to your spouse and you hear like the chaos that's going on. And it's like, ah! I'm like, okay, I'm on the way. I'll be there in two minutes. I come through the door and my son is thrown. You know these little matchbox cars? My, I played college baseball and uh, my son, he's a lefty, praise God, okay? So he's working it out already. But I, for whatever reason, he's just decided he wants to hit her with the four seam, poosh, right in the eyeball. And it hit her perfectly. She had the biggest shiner. By the time I got there, this little mouse had come up on her eye. Where, where, you know, so I'm trying to hold. Anyway, cute little sinners. That's the point I'm trying to make here cute little sinners. But redemption, listen to me, the idea of redemption is to restore to original design. One of the things that you need to understand is when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, God had a redemption for you. He has something for you. You guys just talked about serve day last week, serving here in the context of the Sunday gathering, serving your, in your city, serving in your job, serving in your home, serving in your, co you, you need to understand that God hasn't made us just to kind of kick back and relax. He has actually designed us to work, to work, work is worship. Did you know that work is worship? If you're a Christian and you're in a job, you should be the number one employee of that entire business. If you're a Christian and you're a student, you should be the best student in the class. I heard this for the very first time when I was in high school and I was like, no, I, this is miserable. That's really sanctifying. I, don't, I wanted to kind of sit at the back of the class and just do enough to get by. But the reality is we should be the very best employees, the very best citizens, the very best, the very best students because work is worship. It's kind of like magma and lava. You know the difference? Magma and lava, anybody? Science people? I, I saw some nerds raise their hand. Magma and lava, what's the difference? One's on the inside and one's on the outside. That's it. Worship inside, work outside. So it doesn't matter if I'm mowing my grass, it's gonna be worship. I'm gonna make straight lines. I'm gonna roll that fescue over. I'm striping my yard, okay, all right? 
Or if I'm doing laundry, I'm going to fold it with crispness. Because work is worship. And God's redeemed us so that we might worship him in all that we do. Some of y'all are gonna be early on Monday morning to work tomorrow, right? You're getting there, you're getting caffeinated, ready to go. Hey, hey boss, how you doing? God bless you, employees and all the people around me. All right, you need to be the very best employee, not because they're gonna give a bonus at the end of the quarter, but because you have a king who's redeemed you. It's way better than a couple extra bucks in your bank account. All right, all right, so here we go. Redemption. Number four, after they get that one done, now this one's crazy. Y'all didn't know that God was Southern, but I'm gonna show you that he is. In this fourth promise, they would fill up the cup one more time. And in the fourth promise, this was the promise. The promise is, I will take you. Now you see that it says you there. But if we went back to the original Hebrew, that word is actually y'all. It's a plural. It's the only time it's used. So all these other ones are used, but this is actually y'all. So he says, I will take y'all to be my people and I will be y'all's God. Some of y'all been saying you guys, use guys. No, that's not it. Okay. All right. I know I'm just north of the Mason Dixon. I crossed the river from the airport last night, but yeah, anyway, just being funny, but truly this is powerful. What does that mean? That means that God is not trying, and this is so important, post-enlightenment American Christianity teaches individualistic God. It's like my personal relationship with God, and that's important because you know what? Your mom and dad can't believe in faith for you, young man, young woman, okay? Um, But you need to understand, God's not saving you so that you can just sit at home and kind of read your Bible and kind of have a relationship with him. He saved you so that you would be a part of the body of Christ. So I wanna look every single one of you in the eyes that are in this room and say, well done. You need to be a part of the body of Christ because we have many gifts, Corinthians tells us, that come together and form the bride and the body of Christ and, and we can't do everything. I'm, I'm, I'm designed to do some things and you're designed to do something and we are a part of doing something together. And so when he's, when he's making this promise, I want you to know that God has made a promise, look at me, he's made a promise for you to have community, for you to have brothers and sisters for you to have spiritual fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. He says, I'm gonna come back for a people. He's not coming back for an individual. He's coming back for a people. And he wants you to know that you can find community in his church. That when when he bled and died, he died so that we might be in community, amen? All right, so I know this is a bit nerdy, but I wanted to make sure you get this. So the four promises are, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, so salvation and freedom. I will redeem you, that's, that's that you would have a purpose. And then I will make you a part of a family, that's so that you will, you will be a part of community. Those are the four promises of God. Now, let's get to Jesus. So Jesus and the disciples, they've got this Passover meal. It, it lasts, a, this is when he washed their feet. This is when they would actually eat a lamb, a literal lamb. Like we've just, you know, so they would break bread. They would remember all that God had done. But I want us to get into the upper room, if we could, for just a minute. We get into the upper room that night and Jesus is serving them and he's teaching them this beautiful lesson that the, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. That Everybody can't be a celebrity, but everybody can be great, Martin Luther King Jr. said, because everyone can serve. And Jesus said that the servant is is on the path to greatness. And so he would serve his disciples that night. He would would teach them this, but then he he actually gets to this, this passage of scripture in Matthew 26, and watch what he does here. This is really important, okay? In Matthew 26, it says that Jesus now, as they were eating, 
Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he tells them, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, the one that he had spoken the four promises over, okay? He took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now watch this, this is so important. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with y'all in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26, 30. So a couple of things are happening here that I wanna just make us aware of. So one of the things he's doing is he is foregoing the fourth cup. So if he's foregoing the fourth cup, which, which cup number are they on? Three. And what was cup number three? Does anybody remember what it was called? The cup of redemption. Aha, beautiful. So they, they stand up and they sing a hymn. And do we, does anybody know the hymn that they sing? Anybody happen to know? Anybody know? Anybody know? All right, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, this was the hymn. So as a part of the Passover meal, the, the, the dad, the patriarch or the granddad of the family would walk the people through the Passover meal through Psalm 115, 116, 117, and 118. So we don't know, you know what, which moments they were at, but we know that the conclusion hymn was Psalm 118. It's the last one that they sing. And I wanna read this for you. It's not gonna be on the screen, okay? So if you don't have a copy of it in front of you, I'm sorry, okay? You gotta, you gotta click there or, or get your Bible. I'm gonna read it, okay? Psalm 118. All right, here's, here's the words. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Now let me pause. His steadfast love endures forever. That's gonna be your, your part, okay? Can you guys say that? When I pause, you're gonna say back to me, his steadfast love endures forever. So let's try one more time, okay? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And this is the way you would do the meal. So the dad or the granddad would do this and then the, the, the family would respond, the extended family would respond, okay? So here's your part again. Let Israel say. Let the house of Aaron say. Let those who fear the Lord say. All right, and then dad would, would sing a little bit here. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. Now let me just pause right here. What is Jesus about to go and do right after he takes this meal? What's he about to go and do? The cross. He's literally about to enter into the passion. And so I want you to hear every one of these words with new eyes. Okay, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now listen, he had walked into Jerusalem earlier that week and they thought like David that Jesus was gonna be the king. But he was making a statement with this song that it's better to trust in the Lord than in princes, royalty of humanity. Watch this. 
All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Watch. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. This is in the mouth of our Lord. Hours before the cross. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. What did John say? John said that he, he is the way. He is the gate. And Jesus is singing. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this, this is where I got wrecked the very first time that I was shown this. Ready? Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I, I got to pause right here. In the Jewish mind, the day didn't start when you wake up out of bed. The day started when the sun went down at night. You're at the Passover meal. And there's a brand new day beginning. A brand new day beginning, you celebrate the Passover and you sing a song. And I grew up singing this song. I had one of those mamas. Did anybody else have that mama that would come into your room in the morning and the lights got turned on, the blinds got opened up, the covers, even if she was feeling really, you know, uh, excited about getting us out of bed, thrown off and it's freezing and she's, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. And she was clapping like this. Come on, you do it with me. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it and be glad in it. Everybody sing, this is the day that the has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. My turn. This is the day. Your turn. That the Lord has made. That was the context I had. That was it. And then I read this. And in the mouth of our Lord, he's singing, this is the day. The day of every day that's ever existed. This is the one that the Lord has made. From eternity past to eternity future. This is the center of eternity. This day. This is the day that God made before he made humanity. Side note. Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit didn't have to have a responsive huddle after Adam and Eve blew it in the garden and go, Oh my gosh! What are we going to do? They ate the fruit and now sin. What do you want to do? Oh, I, I don't know. What do we want? You do this. We do this. Let's play paper rock scissors. Somebody needs to die for this. You go paper rock scissors. Shoot. Oh, sorry, Jesus. Head on down, big guy. <laughs> but do you understand how much of our theology is wrapped up in that God's responding to our sin? Can I look at you and tell you something? Before you and I were existed, God knew, and He intended that the cross would be seen at the center of human existence. And this is the day that the Lord has made. And Jesus Christ is saying, I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in it. 
He sings those words in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Watch these words. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. They would sing this song because the sacrificial lamb was about to be sacrificed that night. But at this time, the lamb, Jesus Christ, in his mouth is singing this Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Here's your part. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then the disciples leave the room. They go down across the Kidron Valley, the Bible tells us. And then where do they go? You guys remember your Bible, Bible scholars? Where do they go? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Do you remember the prayer? How many times did Jesus have to come and wake the disciples up? You remember? A couple of times. They're falling asleep. You know why they're falling asleep? Any of you guys had four glasses of wine before? I'm, not, I'm, just, this, I'm just being honest. You want to know why they're falling asleep? Peter's like, I can't. Okay. Hello. Some of y'all Southern Baptists like I got raised. You need to understand. Okay. Hello. All right. It wasn't grape juice. All right. That's not the point. The point is we have his prayer recorded. What is he praying? He is praying with unbelievable agony and he's praying to his dad and he's saying, dad, dad, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. That's his prayer. Take this cup from me. What cup? This cup, cup number three. Because he said, I'm not drinking number four until I'm with y'all again in heaven. Take the cup of redemption for me, but not my will, but yours be done. And then what does God the Father do? Here comes Judas. Here comes the, here comes the guards. And you know what our Lord does? To you, Abba. thy hands I commit my spirit and he goes like a lamb bound up the festal sacrifice he dies on the cross the Bible says that God made him this is 2 Corinthians 5 21 God made him who knew no sin Jesus Christ to be sin for who for us because we're all cute little sinners pulling our sister's hair and then it just gets worse from there cute little sinners in need of forgiveness and there was no other way he became the gate he became the way he became the cornerstone that everybody else rejected he's looking at you and me and he's saying today today in July 2022 if you need forgiveness if you need to be saved if you want to be free if you need to understand your purpose meaninglessness by the way apathy and, and having no purpose for living is one of the great depressions of our day Right? Meaninglessness. Mark Twain said it best, I think. And years ago, he said, men die at 27. We just bury most of them at 72. Any men in the room been feeling like they're dead? Not have anything to live for? Our Father has purpose on offer. You've been feeling lonely and isolated? Our Father has community on offer. 
And it's found in the new covenant. It's found when he said, this, this now, these promises that I delivered on, they're yours. I will save you and I will free you and I will give you a purpose to live for and I will give you a family. Drink deeply of me. The blood of Jesus Christ, the old Puritan said it was efficacious. Everybody say efficacious, it's fun. Efficacious, it was effective. It was effective. And so when we drink the communion cup, we remember these promises are now ours in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus. And when we eat the communion bread, we, we recall these things are still on offer for us today. And then Jesus dies, but he doesn't remain dead. He, he put his supernatural divine flex on three days later and he comes out of that grave, amen? He comes out of that grave so that you and I might live in the promises of God today, so that we might be forgiven. And I don't know about you, but I'm in need of forgiveness every day. And so here's what I wanna invite us to do. Would you stand to your feet? And I'm gonna invite our ushers to come and they're gonna pass out communion elements. Thank you. And as the ushers begin to pass it out, I wanna just let you if you've never taken one of these before, it's, it's the, it's the we've, we've really done so engineering, American modernity here. We've got these beautifully, we use these same ones at my church. So there's two, two cups. So go ahead and get the film off of the first one. Get that little wafer ready, all right? And I'm gonna invite you to hold it in your hand if you can. We're gonna do it at the same time. And we're gonna take the other one as well. sure everybody's got one. Give them time to take them out. And here's what I want to put before you. The Bible says to not take these elements in an unworthy manner. Well, we've already established that none of us are worthy of our own ability, right? So how do you take it in a worthy manner? Anybody know? You take it by faith in Christ. So if maybe you've grown up in a, in a high church context where you've taken these elements before, or maybe you've grown up like I did and didn't realize the the, the power and impact of it. But I wanna invite you to take these elements by faith today. That the only way that anybody's made right with God is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because he drank that cup. He died my death and he died your death. And so today, maybe for the very first time, some of you are gonna take these elements in a worthy manner. And we're gonna remember that we live out of the power of Jesus Christ today. That salvation and freedom and purpose and family are ours in Christ. So let's turn our eyes to the Lord and would you go ahead and take the bread now. Father God, we remember you blessed it, you broke it, you gave it away. Thank you, Father, for your body that was broken for me. We do this now in remembrance of him. And he says to his disciples, he says, take the cup, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, knowing that all these promises are on offer. So here's the way we're going to take it. Because it wasn't meant to be taken in just a solemn way. It was meant to be taken in a way that is appreciative, but in a way that is celebratory as we look forward to taking it again. So here's the way we cheers around here. We say very succinctly, to the king. And you respond, to the king, all right? To the king. Till we eat it again at our Lord's table in the new Jerusalem. The blood of the cross was efficacious. So we honor our God because he died and will give you what your blood has purchased to our Lord. Let's take it in remembrance of him. 
If there is anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City People or visit queencitypeople.com.